look at our players, I tell them, dream big. Everybody says, well, you're a small school. It's okay, we'll be small, but we have big hearts, we have big dreams, and one incredible family. We want to play for them. Go up and get everything we got. Pick one another up. Encourage one another. Be popular with each other. Have a smile. Give a pump. Somebody on the floor, pick our guys up. I don't know if they're ready for our energy today, fellas. Everybody, all right. Everybody's tight. Welcome to episode three of the Friartown Fan Voice podcast, recorded from my shiny new home office on December 17th, 2015. I'm Mike Hopkins, the creator of PCBB1917.com, and I thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. We're a little more than a month into the 2015-16 season, and there's been plenty to be excited about in Friartown already. Chris Dunn has been otherworldly, notching a triple-double after flirting with a quadruple-double shortly before that. Ben Bentel has taken a big step forward. Rodney Bullock has been solid, and some of the freshmen have been contributing. This 14th-ranked Friar team is definitely better than I expected through 11 games. Their 10-1 start is their best in the last 27 years since a Rick Barnes coach team started that season 13-0. This podcast will mainly be a recap of the non-conference so far, a preview of the remaining two games against Ryder and UMass, and some comments on the importance of Tuesday's announcement about the Ruane Friar Development Center. Let's dive into the first 11 games of the season, shall we? The opening stretch of the non-conference schedule looked tougher on paper before Harvard and Illinois had some key injuries. Providence handled the Crimson on opening night behind that ridiculous career-high 32 points from Chris Dunn and pulled out a gritty win against the Illini by withstanding a furious final possession where Illinois seemed to get at least five chances, it seemed like. They kept missing at the rim. That Illinois game provided an early blueprint for how teams were going to try to contain Dunn by throwing multiple bodies at him in the pick-and-roll action. The Illini routinely had three players shadowing Dunn, and it definitely slowed him down. After that, it was two fairly easy wins over Brown and NJIT before jumping on a plane to spend Thanksgiving weekend out in California while playing in the Wooden Legacy Tournament. Providence was able to maximize their non-conference schedule, by beating both Evansville and Arizona in the Wooden Legacy. Consider this. The Friars could have ended up playing Evansville, Santa Clara, and UC Irvine. Evansville's a solid mid-major, and they were a guarantee on the schedule either way. But a loss to the Purple Aces would have meant a game against winless at the time Santa Clara, and then playing a decent UC Irvine team wouldn't have been the absolute worst-case scenario, but it isn't the same as going toe-to-toe with Michigan State, at the time, the number three team in the country, now the number one team in the land. That game for the tournament championship added another extra bonus for the Friars. If Kristen doesn't pick up that fourth foul and have to go to the bench around the eight-minute mark, I think that's a totally different game. Even though the team was only down by two when he came back with about four minutes to go, but you think about Providence may or may not have had a lead to defend for that last four-minute stretch instead of seeing Michigan State pull away. That would have been an exciting finish, and I agree with Tom Izzo. It would have been nice to see Denzel Valentine and Chris Dunn for 40 minutes each. Following their loss to Michigan State in the championship game, the Friars would come home and beat up on Hartford to get their East Coast legs back before heading down to South County to face in-state rival Rhode Island at the Ryan Center. Much was made leading up to that game when Ed Cooley proclaimed he didn't feel like PCURI was a rivalry game. 
he declared it just another game and a business trip for his young men. As I wrote in my preview of that game, Cooley knows that game means a lot to fans of both teams, and the entire state of Rhode Island for that matter. To me, Cooley's comments were a method of coach speak and a way for his kids not to feel any added pressure, and he admitted as much every time he spoke to the media after that initial time. There was certainly plenty of hype despite Cooley's comments, and despite the Rams being without their best player in E.C. Matthews who tore his ACL in the team's season opener. The game on the court did not disappoint. I watched the game from the Smirkers' insanely comfortable couch in Boston, and the entire room of people was enthralled by the action, except for that rather heated discussion about Amy Schumer by some of the girls in the room, but I digress. That PCURI game became an instant classic, and for Providence to get a road win in, in as hostile of an environment as they'll face all season was a big moment of growth for Cooley's team. And that brings us to last week, when Providence had to grit out two wins over teams they should easily have handled in Boston College and Bryant. The week started off with a wild story about BC having eight of their players come down with a possible E. coli infection after eating at a local Chipotle. It turned out it was just a norovirus, whatever that is, and the game was played as scheduled. Providence turned out to be the team that ended the game down players after Dunn took ill with about four minutes left in the first half. And a couple minutes later, Ben Bentle rode his ankle. Both would miss the second half. Oh, and did I also mention that freshman Ryan Fazekas didn't even make the trip to the dunk because he was diagnosed with mono before the game? Yeah, so PC was down three starters for the entire second half. The beginning of that second half was ugly, to say the least, and it reminded me of how the team played last season after Cooley left the bench early in the second half of the Xavier game in Cincinnati. There were more turnovers and shot attempts for way too long of a period of time before things got settled down and Rodney Bullock took over. Dunn and Fizikas were ruled out before the Bryant game, so before Alf, but before tip-off, but Bentel managed to dress after x-rays came back clean on his left ankle. Cooley was clearly hoping to avoid using the big man with a seven-day exam break on the immediate horizon, but Bryant gave him no choice by coming out hot and building a lead as large as 11 with 10.03 left in the first half. Bentel was called upon at the 5.15 mark of the, set of, the, of the first half, and his presence was clearly calming. He didn't seem too hobbled by the still-healing ankle, and he helped the Friars make a run to close the half, and the Friars trailed by four. Bentel had a big second half and was helped by a rookie guard, Drew Edwards, who got hot for a stretch on his way to a career-high 17 points on five made threes. You should definitely head over to the PCBB1970.com site where I have a feature article up on Edwards I think you'll enjoy. That was very fun to write. I'm pretty proud of the uh, the work there. Jalen Lindsay also had a solid game with 15 points and 7 boards. All right, so that takes us um, through a pretty semi-detailed breakdown of the first 11 games of the non-conference. Now I'm going to give you a couple more macro thoughts on the opening stretch so far. Chris Dunn is better than advertised. He's on his way to a special final season in Friartown. Ben Bentel has been one of the biggest breakout players in America. Yes, America. And this isn't me pulling a classic Ed Cooley hyperbolic statement. Bentel was awesome for that stretch beginning with Evansville. Through a 16-point first half against BC before spraining his ankle. I fully expect Bentel to return fully healthy and ready to keep the ball rolling as Big East play approaches. He's expected to be healthy and ready to go on Saturday against Ryder. Rodney Bullock may not be quite ready for a regular star of the game, 
but he has proven he can at a minimum be a solid third scorer for Providence, who can provide some rebounding and toughness down low. Jalen Lindsay will continue to get more playing time as Ryan Fazekas recovers from mono. Lindsay has been inconsistent to start his Providence career, but has been playing a little more aggressively this season. He's going after rebounds more frequently, and has even dribbled the ball some. One interesting thing is that Lindsay has seemed to thrive playing in the four spot, which hasn't been too, too often, but there have been times because of injury or foul trouble where he has slid over to the four, and he's been productive. It's worth noting he played the four for three of the four years of high school. Maybe there's a way for Lindsay to play the four on offense and guard threes on defense to get him going in games. We'll see as he'll, I'm sure he'll get plenty more minutes over the next couple weeks while Fazekas is back. Fazekas has been excellent and provided the shooter that Cooley has been looking for. He started the first nine games of the season before coming down with Mono. And in that time, he showed a real shooter's mentality by being willing to have a short memory and keep shooting, something Cooley has had to prod out of players like Bryce Cotton, Lindsay. And, and others in, in their times at PC. Drew Edwards has been the most impressive freshman besides Fazekas. He had the recent big game against Bryant, but he also played well against BC, especially on defense, and has contributed when given the chance. He has had some defensive lapses, which are of the mental variety and likely caused by doing too much thinking on the court. He's still learning the most on that end of the floor, and he'll get more comfortable as the season goes on. Quadre Smith has looked up and down so far. He's shown moments where he carves out space and has a soft touch around the rim, and others where he gets beat off the ground for rebounds by smaller players. He needs to get into a little better shape, which will help his athleticism getting off the ground and playing on ball screens, which has been an area that teams have tried to exploit in his limited minutes on the floor. Ricky Council has been pretty sparingly played, and seems like he has the most developing to do with the current freshman crop. He can definitely shoot the ball. He showed that in practice and all summer long but it'll be hard for him to do that if he isn't getting on the floor too often. So those are just some macro thoughts. Uh, give a little rundown of some of the players, name, you know, some of the, the notable players through, through the first 11 games. Um, now let's just dive into a little quick preview of the final two non-conference games. Uh, first up is Saturday the 19th. That's at 8 p.m. at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. I'm sure there's still tickets available at Friars.com. Um, Ryder hails from the Mac, that is the Metro Atlantic, whatever it is, I don't even know, the Mac, who knows. And their nickname is the Bronx. Yes, that's B-R-O-N-C-S, not Broncos, Bronx. I'm still really not even sure what that is. They are 2-8 and eight coming into the dunk on Saturday, the bottom third team in Division One right now. And have had two separate four-game losing streaks ready this season that have been bookended by their only two wins. They got blown out by URI in late November, and their two wins are against Houston Baptist and Charleston Southern, two powerhouses. They aren't great, and Providence should be favored by around 15 points and handle the Bronx. They don't get to the free throw line, they turn it over at an above average clip, and they aren't a good three-point shooting team. I look for Chris Dunn to come back in full force for this game and have five or more steals. One interesting note on Ryder, they do have a freshman point guard named Keelan Ives, who is about 5'9", listed at 5'9", so he may actually be shorter than that. And he hails from Providence. He did a prep year. Uh, he was, I believe, went to Classical in Providence and then did a prep year at Putnam Science Academy down in Connecticut before heading off to Ryder. 
the final non-conference game, which will be Monday the 21st, uh, short trip west to UMass Amherst. The Minutemen have given Providence teams some trouble in recent years, but the Friars handled them last season at the dunk by 20. Derek Kellogg's group is off to a 6-4 and four start and beat Harvard and Clemson while falling to Creighton, Mississippi, UCF, and Florida Gulf Coast. UMass has a solid offensive team, but they've struggled to clean the glass or protect the rim. A road game against a team in the A-10 isn't anything to sneeze at, and this game could open as a pick 'em or even with Providence being slight underdogs. But I think Providence finishes off the non-conference with a win to finish 12-1. and The key in that game, probably, will be for Providence to get out to a quick start. UMass has struggled with that this season where they've gotten down big and had to claw their way back. So if Providence can get off to a hot start on the road, keep the fans quiet, that could be... Uh, a good way to get things going to close out the non-conference portion. Now I'm going to jump into some other big news that happened this week. Tuesday the 15th, uh, big announcement in the Mullaney Gym at Alumni Hall. A lot of pomp and circumstance. The school sent out about four or five press release reminders to remind everyone that there was a press conference on Tuesday at 1 o'clock. And it was a big announcement. Uh, Bob Driscoll, Father Shanley, and the attendants inside. Uh, Bob Driscoll made the announcement that they have received the requisite amount of funding to date to move forward with their plan to open what will be called the Ruane Friar Development Center. If Ruane sounds like a familiar name, it's because he's got his name on a lot of things. Michael Ruane and his wife Elizabeth, he's a former... Uh, chair of the Board of Trustees, made a large donation, part of which went towards funding a chair in the economics department, and another part went to this new facility, which will be $37.5 million, roughly, constructed in two phases, um, with the first phase shovels in the ground uh, in the spring of 2016, to be completed in the summer of 2017, ahead of the 2017-18 season. If you haven't seen the renderings, head over to the website, check them out. Uh, i got a few up there. This is going to be a game-changing facility. That was the hashtag also at the end of the presentation, hashtag game-changer. Um, but it really is going to be a game-changing facility for Providence for a number of reasons, and not just because they said so with the hashtag. This will utilize some of the newly acquired property on that lonely side of campus that houses the new Ray Tracy track in a parking lot where houses used to be. Most importantly, as far as the basketball program is concerned, this will be a big recruiting tool for Ed Cooley as he tries to continue bringing talented players to Friartown. Providence is one of the last programs in the Big East to have a facility like this, so in one sense it brings them up to par with their league mates. But it also moves them ahead of many because they are taking some of the best pieces of other facilities they toured over the last couple of years as they were dreaming and designing the facility. This started as a $3 million gym, for the team to practice, and over the last couple of years it's expanded to a point it will benefit all students and not just student-athletes. Big props to the Ruanes, who will soon have seemingly half of campus named after them, and a big shout-out to Steve Napolillo, whose team has done an amazing job helping fundraising efforts at Providence. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast. I'm hoping to do uh, find some time after Christmas, but before the new year, to preview the Big East slate that Providence faces starting on New Year's Eve at Butler's historic Hinkle Fieldhouse. 
As always, send me your questions, comments, and anything else to the Friartown Fan Voice Hotline at 516-500-7222. That's 516-500-PCBB. One thing I wanted to throw in before I sign off is a text message I got from my dad. My dad is a St. John's alum. Uh, he's not a Providence fan, although he does now watch every Providence game so that he can call me the next day to give me his thoughts and feelings. But um, So not a Providence fan by any stretch and likes to take the other side of any team that I may root for. So just to give you a little perspective. Uh, I got this text from my dad today after he read my feature on Drew Edwards. Um, just wanted to read it because he, he basically nailed what I was hoping to get across in those 700 or so words. My dad wrote, He sounds like a remarkable young man. I'm glad you focused on the young man's history as much as the game against Bryant because the history says it all. This kid is spectacular and seems to fit into the ethos. Nice little civ word there which Cooley is trying to create. Something tells me, as the years go by, he's going to be a very successful coach, and Edwards a player. Thanks, Dad. You nailed it. I want to wish everyone out there a Merry Christmas and a Happy Festivus. Until next time, stay classy, Friartown.